Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today we're doing a movie discussion with the movies decided by the roll of a die, where we roll a die that picks the genre. And then, of course, my guest host picks the movie. And he picked a wonderful movie. But let me introduce my guest host, a wonderful director. I've got all of his films on DVD or Blu ray that I can. If, if not, they're on YouTube. Um, the wonderful Ansel Farage. How you doing today, Ansel? I'm good, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of the few people I could say, and there should be more. I got the whole Farage set. You know, I got the complete collection. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> I, uh, thank you so much. And uh, it's nice to have have a, a set of, of movies on physical media in these days. So, you know, that's, it's always good. And one of, there's two reasons I got it. One, I love the movies. And uh, the other reason, and I think this is what I, I, I always try to push the people to understand we have to support independent filmmakers. So, yes, I saw it other ways. I mean, maybe I, it was like free on Amazon Prime at the time or whichever yeah. one. But you get like pennies for viewing right. that. Where if I buy the Blu ray or a DVD, you're getting a much more substantial amount of money. And that way you can find a couple next project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah. And I, in return, you get special features and commentaries and deleted scenes and stuff. Cause the, you know, it's, it's a, on DVD. I grew up with VHS and then when the transition, the DVD happened and you, well, LaserDisc had special features, but uh, you had all these cool bonus materials and nice packaging. And, and I love that. And I have an exuberant amount of DVDs myself. So I like the, I like to carry on the tradition of nice special features and a good old Blu-ray package. And I, and I agree with you. I agree with you because a lot of people think, oh, we could just stream it. But sometimes I mean, when you want to go watch a movie, it's between streaming services and all the yeah. other stuff. But if you have it, you can just stick it in. Wi-Fi is exactly. not working. It don't matter. You got exactly. your Blu-ray player or DVD player and exactly. you got the movie. <laughs> Exactly. I know exactly your own private personal library collection that isn't going to go anywhere unless you sell it. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I don't plan on selling any of your stuff soon. Unless for some reason, I mean, somebody now I will admit this. If somebody offers me an ungodly amount of money for them, I was like, sure. And then I'll go buy myself another copy. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone's offering you an ungodly amount of money. Steven, send them my way. I'll make a brand new movie with what they're offering. <laughs> <laughs> like the budget i'll be like okay if you want to meet the guy here here's his number call him <laughs> but what have you been up to recently you have something coming out i think really soon at the time this episode comes out it should be out yes uh my brand new film that's been over a decade in the making todd tarantula quote a mystery of psychedelic proportions unquote and uh, it's uh, uh, stream. It will be streaming on demand um, on Vimeo on demand on March third, and you can access it through any Amazon Fire Stick or Roku device. You simply search Todd Tarantula, and it'll, it'll come up. And uh, it's also having its festival premiere at the Hollywood uh, Real Independent Film Festival in downtown Los Angeles, where David Selby has won Best Supporting Actor for his performance in, in my film, and I'm very proud of, of that. And uh, David is proud, too. And uh, it's a psychedelic, rotoscoped, neo-noir uh, about an antihero, Todd Tarantula, whose motorcycle gets stolen, and he sinks slowly into uh, a time-bending epic of Los Angeles and Los Angeles history and urban mythology. And uh, I have been working on it for over 10 years and it's so nice that it, it finally exists and, and people can now see it. And it's, it's, I know it's my film, so I'm plugging it, but it is pretty unlike anything that uh, I think is out there. If I just say so myself. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to you, you let me see a preview of it. And um, it is, Definitely different than most of the things that are out there and in a good way. And I like it has the ret rotoscope or retro rotoscoping type quality Perfect. going on yeah. with it, where it reminds me of a scanner darkly and those kind of things. And I re I got the vibe that was going on with it. And, and listeners, we're not going to talk much more about Todd Tarantula because in future episodes, 
um, are, that have already been recorded, Ansel and I, and the lead actor, Nathan Walker, and one of the supporting actors, Kelly Kitko, are going to have a roundtable interview type this, um, episode going on. And I talked to David Selby, who has, we already just mentioned, one best supporting actor. And, yes, right, there's more. <laughs> Doug Ames, who plays the father of Todd Tarantula, is going to be on an, an episode. So you'll be hearing all this through the next month or so coming out and as, as a, a push to, for people to see Todd Tarantula. And you'll learn other things about the different people that we'll be talking to besides the movie. So it, we're, this is give you a little taste of it, but you'll hear more as the month continues on. Thank you so much again, Stephen, for, for, for promoting the film as extensively as you are. I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you. Well, you're welcome. And Anton, like I said, I love your work. I love the movie. And it, it, to me, again, if you don't, if you don't take time to try to support independent filmmakers like yourself, and there's other people I've also helped and tried to support, it, it, you're not going to get the work that you want to see. And then because you guys need the support, you need the help. It's a, it's a, it's a big jungle Thank out you. there. <laughs> it is. It is. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And a while ago, we rolled the genre die or dice. And you ended up getting drama and you picked two different movies. You said third man on the mountain or black narcissist, narcissist. Yeah. Black narcissist, yeah. And you said, Steve, you pick. And I had seen this one a couple years ago and I picked black narcissist, 1947 version, making sure people know what there's a two different versions at yes. least yeah, out yeah. there. This is the 47. <laughs> <laughs> and why it's did you pick your one? Well, obviously we we both agree on that, but why did you pick this? Yeah. One? <laughs> uh, why did I pick it? Um, it's it's a movie that uh, I mean it's one of the, the most amazingly shot Technicolor three strip Technicolor films uh, of the the golden age of of Technicolor film. They don't make that that film stock any longer. Why did I pick it? I think to me it's one of the best examples of pure movie magic. Uh, when I was a kid and I first saw it, I wasn't even really a kid. I was more like almost a teenager. I totally believe they shot that movie on location in India and in the Himalayas. And, and they didn't. They shot it entirely in Pinewood. And, and they even say so in the end credits. But the, the atmosphere and the, the mystique of the film so blinded me from the movie magic that I was convinced for, for a couple of years that it was a location film. And uh, and then when I when I started learning just how they did it and uh, and diving into more of Michael Pollan and McPressberger's work and and uh, I I just my appreciation and my awe I guess for the film just just grew and grew and uh, I don't know I love it it's one of my it's in my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll say it. The cinematography, as you said, if I remember correctly, it won the Academy Award. It, for it won, year. yes. Jack Cardiff won. Yeah. Well, well deserved. It is. It is beautifully, beautifully shot, and there are images that you will see that that you'll that you'll end up taking to the grave because they're just yeah. so outstanding, they're stunning, and stunning, and also dramatically appropriate, and everything just hitting at that that that's oh, yeah. I mean, and the matte paintings are extremely well. There was only one time I was watching it just recently, like for this to talk for us to talk about, where I could see a little, where I could see the matte and the at the bell tower thing. I could say, "Oh yeah, I could see it a little bit there." But I mean, you you have to be looking for it. And when you're watching right. in the movie over and over, you start to look for things. But I can imagine when you're yeah. watching, the first time I didn't notice it at all, as you said, when you were a teenager, which I would yeah. still consider a kid. What I really like about this, as you said, with Michael Powell and Emmerich um, Pressburger, this was my first time seeing one of their movies when I saw it a couple of years ago. It was, my, it was my first introduction to them, and it was just by happens on HBO Max. So if listeners, you have HBO Max, it's yeah. right there, the Criterion version, yeah. beautiful print, with a bonus feature talking about um, the two directors and remem remembering them. And I, I just want to see more of their work. You know, and that, and that's the thing when you see that you're like, oh my! And this is not considered their best. You know, for a lot of people, there's other movies that are considered their best or whatever. This is considered one of their best. 
So right. depending on what your preferences are, where you'll put it. So it makes you just thinking like, wait a minute, if this is not considered by some people as their best one, oh my Lord, what have I been missing? Yeah, yeah. There's, they've, they've got a couple masterpieces under their belt. Yeah. Uh, the Red Shoes is, is a good one. That's, that's usually everybody's favorite. That's Scorsese's favorite and George Romero's favorite. And uh, A Matter of Life and Death which is really a, a, a fascinating, again, the use of Technicolor and that Technicolor becomes a character in that film. Uh, and then The Tales of Hoffman, which my art teacher in the ninth grade used to make, <laughs> used to make us watch over and over and over. And um, my class uh, didn't enjoy it, but uh, over time it grew on us. It's a, it's, a, it's a ballet movie, but he wanted us to see it for, for the production design and the artificiality and all the elements that are a part of Black Narcissus and uh, the, the heightened stylization and use of color, Technicolor. And uh, and I personally love Michael Powell's final film, uh, Peeping Tom, uh, which was the movie that destroyed his career, basically, that the British critics just savaged it and, and said, how dare you make such a film? Uh, and it was the same year that Hitchcock released Psycho. But uh, because Peeping Tom was, uh, I think, an Eastman color, it, it affected people more. It was more lurid. Uh, it was a little bit, more in your face with the violence and with the and with the sexual violence, uh, and it's brilliant. And I wish that Criterion would upgrade their DVD to Blu-ray because it's it is also a masterpiece and and so tragic. And now we're talking about a totally different film. So I shut up. That's okay. You know that's that's the beauty of talking about films is when when you're talking about the work of these two men, whether together or separate, you're just enjoying the the movies that they put out you can't help but talk about them and one day we might talk about peeping time and maybe maybe it will be a blu-ray print where we're yeah. just we're just sitting there with our jaws slack watching um what's going on and, and and seeing it thank god martin scorsese was able to um put help push that back out into the light yeah back in the, was it yeah. the 80s i think he did it was like yeah. it was a long time later but at least he got it yeah, back early out 80s. There. yeah early 80s yeah but getting us back to the movie that you picked, I mean, you look at the cast, and you're in, in, in right off the bat, you you got Deborah Carr, who's mm-hmm. been in just about everything you know you can think of, with The King and I, From Here to Eternity, The Innocents. I mean, the list goes on and on, and she's playing the lead. You know, I'm Sister. Oh, I'm Sister Cloda. Cloda, thank Sister you, Sister Cloda, the yeah. Irish lass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With 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 the tragic romantic past that she's just forever trying to run from, and has now rediscovered something uh, in Mr. Dean, which is uh, uh, David Farrar, uh, who was in a, a couple other Michael Pollan Pressburger uh, films, uh, Small Black Room, Small Back Room, I'm sorry, uh, where he plays an alcoholic with uh, Kathleen Byron, who is the mad uh, sister Ruth uh, in Black Narcissus. And uh, I, now I'm t- I'm taking over your interview, Stephen. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. This is it's collect. Go for it. You know. Th- 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 okay. I, I mean, when you're when you when you're in the moment, go for it. <laughs> Don't okay, apologize. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, uh, you have my favorite is is uh, Flora Robeson as. Um, oh damn! Now I'm blanking. I can't remember her her character's oh, name. But she's, Sister uh, Philippa. Philippa. Sister Philippa. Yes. And she's she's the she's the the emotional anchor and rock that Deborah Carr needs, and and she's also filled with mysterious, dark, tragic pasts. And my one of my favorite scenes is when she shows that she's worked so hard that her her hands are just blistered and calloused, and and she says, I, "There's things that I'm starting to remember that I wish I could forget." And it's like, what it what are those? You know, those. That's also why I love this film is because it's. I mean, it is based on a novel that, by Robert Garden, so there is there is uh, a source material where you can dive in and learn more about these these people in this world. But the film is sort of peppered with mystery, and and Sister Philippa is one of those mysteries. What is she running from? What is she trying to forget? That the mountains, the the ongoing mountain scenery around her is is just driving back into her face and. And so much so that she wants to leave the the convent and be transferred. And then uh, you have 
uh, Jean Simmons in one of her early roles uh, as uh, Haji the Kanchi. Kanchi, Kanchi. I'm getting movies mixed up. I just watched uh-huh. that Young Valley Dolls with Haji. <laughs> 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 um, Kanchi, yeah, the, uh, the, um, the, the town harlot, we'll call her. Um, and, uh, uh, and she falls in love with Sabu from, from the Thief of Baghdad. Uh, and and Sabu brings up the title of Black Narcissus. It's his fragrance that he he gets from the quote Army Navy stores and surplus stores in London. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great cast, and um, they all. I mean, I mean, I knew Deborah Carr from The Innocence when I was a kid, and and from a couple Aubrey King and I, a couple other things. But you forget who these actors are, and it's they are these people in this place, the back and beyond, as Mr. Dean describes it. Um, yeah, and that's my, that's my spiel on the cast. Yeah. And to give that people an idea, the, 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 the brief synopsis of the plot for all intents and purposes, it's a very clear plot, you know, yeah, undercharged with, um, establishing a nunnery, a school and a, um, a clinic health clinic yeah. for at this remote, remote location in the Himalayas where they're up on this, um, old palace, which used to be a palace for, um, uh, the harem. I guess we'd, yep. we'd so to speak yep. or whatever and uh, decorated appropriately for a, a erotic area. And so, mm-hmm. and they're, they're there. And this is what happens to them being in that remote location, being in that spot. And what I love about it is they tell us about, there was a monks that came there, this brotherhood, yeah, the brotherhood. and they couldn't yep. last. And so now they're sending yeah. the nuns and it makes you want to find out what happened to the monks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other. I picture it as like some sort of Ken Russell esque, like crazy deviant type of film up in that uh, up in that world. But um, I love the, that op- that opening introduction when when Mr. Dean is is he's written the letter, and we're hearing his voiceover, and we're seeing all these establishing shots of the palace at Mopu, which a lot of them are model shots and map painting composites and. And, uh, and but you totally believe that it's a real place and a real location. Um, and the wind, the sound of the wind is, is a, a huge element that I love in this film. That's this like choral voices on the wind um, that feels very mystical. And uh, uh, the, the, the matte paintings that Michael Powell, because they were shooting with the three shirt Technicolor, he took uh, black and white photographs of the Himalayas and, and the surrounding area where the, the film would take place. And they blew them up into huge cycloramas that then the technicians at Pinewood, they colored in with pastel chalk. So it had this very vivid texture, vivid color texture that, that registers in the film and makes it feel much more real, yet heightened all the same versus just a traditional, you know, painted cyclorama of some sort of mountain background. Yeah, I'm just going to get into all the, like, the weird technical, the directorial touches that I, I love in this movie. Uh, and, uh, and the music um, by, uh, uh, oh man, my mind is saying Philip Martel, but I know that he was associated with Hammer. It's my, um, this is terrible. I can't remember offhand <laughs> like I used to. Brian, Brian Easdale. Brian Easdale, yes. Brian Easdale's score is is the the magic that glues everything else in this film together. Uh, from the opening theme to, again, my favorite piece of music in the film that I, I've searched for all over the internet is uh, when Sister Philippa is, is telling us about how she's worked so hard that her, her hands are are, are calloused and, and blistered and there's this very strange haunting theme that's just going back and forth back and forth modulating in the background uh, it's just it's just a magnificent score that that adds that extra atmosphere and surreality and mysticism that uh, that the, the film's art, artificial location sets up i agree with you the music is so appropriate especially with sister roofs increasingly becoming unhinged. Yeah. But yeah. also I want to go back to, what you talked about the sound, not only with the wind, but mm-hmm. at the very, the drums, oh, the drums, the horns, but the very end yeah. of the movie, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I could, I will, I will talk about this part at the end when the rain starts falling on the leaves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
It is, you feel you are yeah. there. That's how great the sound. I can imagine, I wish I could see this in a movie theater. Right, uh, me too. And and just, in, especially if with the, the sound technology that we have nowadays, where you're just going to feel you are in that when the rain season is starting. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and it's, it's such a great end shot. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. and, and by me telling you that, we're not spoiling anything that happens in the ending of the movie because it's 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 basically rain hitting leaves. You know, you'll, you'll never yeah. if, if you can yeah, figure yeah. out the end of the movie from that, you are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with that too. Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, every the 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 technical details in this film um, are why I think it lasts. In addition to, I mean, the story and the performances. Um, I mean, obviously, we have a great comparison in this recent uh, uh, BBC FX hybrid um, three-episode miniseries. They stretched out a thing across three episodes where we had it perfectly told in about 100 minutes here um, with half the budget, half the effects technology, and uh, the same story, and yet I could not have cared less about anybody, and I did not feel like I was in that world, and... I know that I was I was comparing to the film, but they set themselves up for that problem by emulating a lot of things that Colin Pressburger do in in their superior feature, and so uh, they just didn't do it as well. And so that's why I say even just the technical details and the thought behind every shot and um, every movement and placement of the camera is is just a work of genius really um, between them, uh, between the whole, the whole creative team, Alfred Young's uh, uh, sets and, and production design. And again, one of my favorite shots is uh, after sister, they've just arrived at the, at the palace and sister Ruth has rung the bell and there's this wide side angle uh, where uh, you see the bell tower in the far left frame and you see the structure of the palace in the far right frame sister Ruth is in the middle ground and she's just rung the bell and behind her is this huge like not quite pure white snowscape of mountains but you can still see detail of mountain and this blue sky that's really a sky and she walks across the ledge and the camera pans with her and we are moving and, and those mountains are moving in the background and it's not a map painting it's uh, just a a mountain cyclorama that that's that's cut out and uh, like a flat and uh, positioned at the edge of the set and it is the actual sky of England behind them and and there's fog just gently drifting and it's fantastic like that is my favorite moment because it's just movie magic it is it's not real and yet it's so real and um, uh, I, <laughs> I can wax poetical about that shot for hours but uh, it's it's better just to, to be seen with your own eyes. And it's very early on in the film. It's early on in the film, and also you have a very non-OSHA compliant bell tower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you go, you go like a step too far. It's a long way down. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to put this into words, but one of the things I loved about this movie, and I think that was missing in the miniseries, and it's been a while since I said the miniseries. And it'll probably stay a while. Um, yeah, is the humanity you. that is yeah. being shown and the erotic nature of all these all these people yeah. being there. Whether it's the altitude, whether it's the environment, whatever, it's reawakening um, yeah. different aspects that a lot of them were trying to keep pushed down, and that's what we were talking right. about. Like it's really affecting the nuns, which makes you wonder what happened to the monks again. I, 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 it's one of the few movies I wish there was a prequel because the good part about a prequel is it has, it has nothing at all to do with this movie. It's just the same location. What happened to the right. guys prior? Only, right. only character you need to be there constant is Mr. Dean. Every other, all the other characters could be, um, inter, you know, changed out. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it does make one me of those monks went for Mr. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was seemed like wanting to go for Mr. Dean, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, what can you Mr. say? Mr. Dean's cool. I wanted to be Mr. Dean when I was 12 years old. Like, he's cool. He's badass. He's got this style. He does not care. He's just, you know, I mean, he's miserable, but he, he seems pretty comfortable in the jungle. 
I think that's the reason he brought Canchi up to the nunnery to begin with is because he was like, she's hanging around my house. He kept, he probably bothering, got, him. Yeah. He kept bothering him because he's like, I don't want to get bothered with anybody. I don't want any attachments here. I'm going to take you up to yeah. the nuns and they'll take care of you. And, and that yeah. kind of thing. It's just, it's, he seemed like somebody who was world weary, who just basically wanted to be a hermit from the outside influences yeah. and just live this existence that he's doing yeah. in India. And, and not have to mess with the rest of the stuff. Yeah, he clearly had been burned by some other tragedy in the past, and uh, and, uh, and yeah, and like in the miniseries, I don't even remember who played him. Like, I don't even remember him as a character in the thing. Like, he's so unpalpable and boring. Uh, versus like the the intense chemistry between him and Deborah Carr, and all the repression and and the eroticism as he brought up, and. Uh, uh, they those those set of British players. They just they were these characters for this duration of, of filming, and um, and uh, yeah, like I said, that's why this movie lasts. Uh, the tension and the the emotion is still real and raw and exciting for an audience. And I think for for a lesser talented director, and obviously, Powell and Pressburger not only wrote, they direct. I mean, not only directed, but they wrote. They produced, they did all, what you're familiar with, being a writer, director, oh, yeah. producer, you know, when you have the whole shebang. And yeah. they were pretty much given, I, don't, I should say carte blanche, but they were left alone for this movie to do yeah. what they wanted to do. So it was, it was their, they were definitely, their baby. They were, they were definitely trusted because they had several masterpieces already under the, with like, A Matter of Life and Death, or I Know Where I'm Going, or The Life and Death of Colonel Bloom. Um, so it's like, all right, we are, you know, you're, you're already respected within the British film industry and, and even the American. So just, you know, have at it. And, and those are the days where you could make just human drama and not a Marvel movie. <laughs> I was going to say it. Um, and, and still make something captivating and exciting that an audience would want to see. Cause it's, it's all about sex and death. And that's the most fascinating subjects for any audience. And, and this film is rife with that. It's very sex, sexualized, sexy, if you want, even though it's about nuns, but maybe nuns are your thing. Um, and it's also a bit of a horror movie in a, in a way. And that was something uh, that Michael Powell had actually had expressed to Jack Carter when, when they were shooting the film. He goes, I want it to feel like a Disney movie and I want it to feel like a horror movie. And, that was something really interesting to me because when I first saw the film as a kid, I was not aware of the the production back history. And there was something about the film that registered to me that felt like a Disney movie that had that Disney cartoon palette. Um, and it wasn't just the snowy mountains, which made me think of, of the Matterhorn mountain ride at Disneyland, but like there was something that felt Disney-esque. Uh, and then obviously the last third of the movie with Sister Ruth descends into, into madness. It, it is a horror film. Um, and, and Brian Eastfield's score reflects it with those laughing voices in the music. And, uh, and if, if you want me to continue prattling on, you can see the, the uh, influence on uh, Ken Russell's film, The Devils, about another uh, convent that is let loose with, with sexual repression and, and madness and uh, grotesquerie uh, and as a brilliant film in its own right. You can see that influence with Sister Ruth and uh, Black Narcissus as a whole on Ken Russell's work. Uh, and, uh, and even, I'm really pushing it, but just the makeup on, on Sister Ruth at that point, like she with the, the eyes and the very like cold, wet skin and stuff, there's elements that are reminiscent of Linda Blair's early possession makeup in like the middle of the exorcist before all hell really breaks loose. So it's a film that's had a, uh, a strange after effect, I think on, on, on cineas and filmmakers and, uh, and just clearly affected me because I'm sitting here talking about it. How many years after it was made? Um, uh, now I'm really totally plugged. I did it even a, a little, I'm going to call it an art piece. It's not a short film, um, of mountains. And this, my, my dad has this, uh, like, I think it's like, a, a, uh, it's a metal sculpture that looks like a, uh, 
a church. Um, and uh, I don't know where he got it. He's had it ever since I was a kid. And I took that and I built like a fake mountain shape and painted mountains, like just like the the, the pastel chalk mountainscapes that Michael Powell had. And did a whole cyclorama of those and, and fog and, and uh, cotton and a bunch of like just bullshit. And, uh, and just made this little atmospheric art piece that was so completely inspired by the atmosphere of black narcissists i had like horns in the distant backgrounds and and chimes of the wind and and uh, just because i i love this movie's mystical atmosphere and i wanted to play in that sandbox for five minutes <laughs> so I, I did a film you could call uh, you can watch it mountain on the edge of nowhere uh and it's on youtube it's it's like a two minute it's literally yeah it's two minutes of a camera filming a fake mountain but i i <laughs> i like it <laughs> now getting, getting back to sister ruth Kathleen, Kathleen byron yeah. the way she portrayed her with the eyes the the face because the one thing in the movie i don't think a lot of listeners understand but haven't seen it with the nuns throughout most of the movie all you ever see is their face because they're usually in yeah. full gear their head is totally yeah. covered except for their face and the cinematic choice of and the directorial choice of showing the close-ups like right up there, and, yeah. And the, the actors are able to use that nuance of facial expressions to show mm-hmm. so much with such little subtlety, and I, and you could see that Sister Ruth, well, she was already con- at the very beginning of the movie. We find that she is a problem nun. You know, she's a problematic. Yeah. She's she's a loner. Yeah. She's sickly or is she plain sick you know is she is uh she's she seems to be a malcontent and in in, in a group and they send her out to this location which of course would only make her better Uh yeah Yeah. (laughs) in hindsight put her in an extreme environment yeah let's see what happens yeah well it didn't it, it it doesn't go well and uh as as we talked about her going to madness but just to see her the way she looks and does different things, it's it's just impeccable. Yeah. And like you said, with the makeup, with the eyes, and yeah. at the end of the movie, when she comes out of the nunnery, uh, it, it, it's just, I feel like the way they have her makeup, it is almost like she is a creature of the night. Yeah. It's day, yeah. It's and her morning. hair is all wet. And yeah. It, and her dress is now dark and damp. She's just like sweated through it. And, and, uh, so that was actually how I, if you want to know how I discovered the film, that was, uh, there's a, on, on public television, there's a thing called the Classic Arts Showcase, and uh, I think they still have it. Um, it's been running like 30 some years, maybe longer, and they'll show various clips of uh, music performances or animation or, or what have you. And uh, one night, uh, like three o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep, and uh, it was, it was more than this was a couple decades ago, and uh, I saw a clip of the climax where Sister Ruth comes out and confronts Deborah Carr, and and the, again the colors and the, the the mountain where it's the sun is rising on it, and it's like got this this pinkish hue on the mountain itself, but the sky is still like teal dark, and and uh, just the use of color, I love the color. Um, so anyway, I saw this clip. And I didn't know what I was looking at, and uh, it was just transfixed. And so it was the whole climax. And at the end, it, it this little it stopped like a music video, and, and there was this little tag that said "Black Narcissus 1947, Michael Powell, Emmett And so I immediately wrote it down. And uh, I was not aware of you know its, it's immediate availability or its accessibility. And luckily, at the time, it had just come out on DVD from the Criterion Collection. So this was like 2002, 2000, yeah, 2002, 2003. Um, and so I rented it. Didn't know what I was going to be watching other than I, there was this cool scene. And so I had to get through the whole movie to get to that cool scene. But the, the movie worked its spell on me. And I hadn't seen anything like it or, or felt anything like it. I loved it, and so then I bought the, the DVD, uh, and I just per, just rewatch it. Like I used to rewatch it all the time, 
I don't do that anymore. I only watch it once a year, like around Christmas time. Um, oh, that's a, we're going to put you in the holiday spirit. <laughs> yeah, I'm weird that way. I, I got to do my blue Christmas marathon. But um, then I cheer myself up because I'll watch Third Man on the Mountain afterward. You know, so you get your, your sad mountain, happy mountain, double feature. <laughs> double feature. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, yeah, and then Criterion, they, they did the, the 4K restoration Blu-ray. So, like, when you when you started the, the whole discussion and said, you can, now you can see the, the lines around the matte painting. And so you couldn't really see that when on the on the old DVD. That's just a, a case of how good the technology is now. Um, but uh, it made just the film even more stunning and more rich in color. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's how I discovered it. And, and um I think it's a great film. And I, I remember I, one time I was at a, a film camp. That sounds really sad. There's a film camp. Jesus, like summer camp. I went to a film camp. <laughs> and uh, nobody there was knew anything other than like Pulp Fiction. And I brought up this movie and I'm like, oh my God, Black Narcissus. And, and you know, we're, we're going to shoot this scene down in the, we're going to shoot like this, this little short film in film camp uh, in this uh, parking garage. And I wanted to light it the same way that Jack Cardiff lit the um, the chapel with the oh. in the climax with the, the greens in the shadow and then the sort of magenta highlights and I showed and everybody's looking at me like what, what's wrong with you and then I showed them the clip because I found the clip on, on the internet and nobody had any interest in, in it and they're like this is old and I'm like you're stupid <laughs> so yeah I I, I uh, it's not so recently have I found other people also like this movie, besides me, um, as they rightly should. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a masterpiece. And I remember when I first encountered it, like I said, it was a couple of years ago, so it was before you brought it up. I, I, had, I, I got HBO Max, I think when it came out, like it was like, like during the pandemic. I was like, oh, let's get this, yeah. because they were doing the thing where um, the movie comes out in the theater, it's also going to come on HBO Max. The day and day, like, yeah. I was like, oh, I'll just do this, because... I could justify it to my wife. It's like, well, instead of going to the theater, we could pay for ourselves because I always has to justify it to her because she is the one that looks for things at the bottom line. And, oh, yeah. I, and she enjoys it now with other shows that have been on it. And I go to the, you know, the, the one thing where it's, it's like the TCM collection. Yeah. And that's where I'm always on it. Yeah. And I like to do films where it's like, I know nothing about it. So I knew nothing about this film. I just read the little synopsis, which is pretty much what I gave you. Everybody tells you really nothing at all, what you're going to get in yeah. for. And I just, Correct. Put it on. And so I was going into it pretty much cold. And you, yeah. you had more of it. And it just, like I said, blew me away with it. And one of the things I want to get back to, which I started to talk about before, was in lesser hands, you know, than these mm-hmm. guys. I think with Mr. Dean, I don't think he was interested in any of the nuns in the way that some of them were interested in him or possibly Less interested in him. Oh, yeah. He, he was correct. And I think with lesser hands, especially now, if it was made again today, um, which it was not that long ago, but I'm talking about if it was done yeah. as a movie, I think they would play up his end. Like he would be suddenly interested in one of them. It'd be more of a love triangle instead of it's no love yeah. triangle at all. It's just he right. doesn't give a darn about what happens up in the palace. He's just there because he's being told it or being paid to do it. I don't know why he has to do it, but whatever he's – He's being he's been ban- he's banished himself to, to this to the ends of the earth, and this is his one task. But yeah, I agree. It's it's not so much romantic interest in Deborah Carr as it is I admire her strength and her tenacity and her we are equals. And the the, the, the most telling moment is like when he says, uh, "Can Sister Bryony make it tough?" And she goes, "No, she can't." And then she catches herself. But he like he's like, "Ah, I see that we can we can spar together. We can talk." All- on equal level and um and then obviously it's in their their near climactic scene where she confesses to him of, of how she feels that she's a failure and he says you all have to get away from here before something happens um it's it's never like oh what if we could be together it's more like i now trust you and respect you and open up to you because you we're we're on the same we're on the same level we're both hiding and yeah, it make, and it makes it so much more interesting than just like, well, I'm interested in a nun that I can't have, and uh, it it and vice versa to her. I mean, she she sees she sees 
you know, fire and spark, but it, it reminds her of her long lost Irish love con who went off to, was it Michigan and didn't leave, didn't uh, take her with in Mr. Dean, but she doesn't see, whereas sister Ruth is totally passionately in love with this guy. And he's just being a gentleman to her because he sees she's unstable. <laughs> so better to treat her with, you know, kindness because she's crazy. Uh, yeah, she's and, cray cray, uh, and, he, and guys, and we've all, and everybody's all met people that are cray cray. You're like, okay, I'm gonna oh, be nice man. to him, but I don't want to be anywhere in my house. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I was thinking when you're like, oh, put her in a put her in an exaggerated situation. I'm like, oh god, just high school, private high school. Put put a <laughs> crazy school. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Dean and 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 Sister Clota, uh, I, I you I agree with you. I, I mean. That, that is kind of what they did in the remake, where, if I remember correctly, over three very long episodes, where it was a bit more sexual and it was a bit more, oh, we're in forbidden love. Like I said, I can't remember who played Mr. Dean um, or what he looked like, but uh, yeah, in lesser hands, in well, lesser hands. Because I think Deborah Carr's character, I agree with you, is being there is reawakening the past to her, but I don't think that she's wanting Mr. Dean at all. It's just, I think that's just right. bringing back all those memories. And she wants, is she's trying to repress them. And her thing is if she works harder, she'll repress them. And it's yeah. affecting virtually all the sisters in different ways. Yeah. Um, there is one scene though. I love it. It's one of the few comedy scenes or comedic scenes in there. And it goes by so subtly. And it's one, one of the sisters, the one who is the, the nurse type sister, the doctor. Sister, sister. honey. No, Sister yeah. Honey was the teacher. Oh, Sister Honey's the teacher. Uh, Sister Briny. Sister Briny. Sister Briny, because she was, the, she's like, you'll need her because she's so strong and powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was the one, I don't think she ever was affected. I think Sister Briny was the only one that didn't really show any, she's, except for yeah, um, a skin rash. Yeah, she steals herself against it. Yeah, she steals herself against it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. She's the only one that, she comes in at the, in the opening, again, when you're hearing winds and drums and, and, and she's got this lantern and, and just, and there's blue light everywhere. And, and her lantern is like glowing yellow. I love the color in this movie. I mean, that's why it won the Oscar for color cinematography because it's so well done. But just, she comes into Deborah Carr and she's the only one that's like not affected by the, they got spots from the water. And, and um, yeah, you're right. She's the only one that, that remains steady throughout the entire adventure. Um, I'm sorry, you, you were going to bring up a comedic, a comedic scene with her. Well, it's when Mr. Dean um, and, and Sister Clodeg and her are like in their office, and she comes to bring them, it looks like coffee, I guess, or tea. Yeah. No, tea. And the coffee. No, it's coffee, because that's when he, he says, can she make a decent cup? Oh, and, and, he, takes, and he, takes, he takes a drink, and you can see by his facial expression, oh, this is bad. And, yeah. and, and Sister Clodeg fakes like she's drinking it, and I love right. it when they show the other sister who made it. She drinks it, and she, and she has this proudest smile. Yeah. All like this is <laughs> yeah, the best agree. cup ever, and I love it because it's 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 a scene where you, you just can't help but smile, and she really just does it, you know. And it's, yeah, it's one and of the few all-out all, comedic scenes. <laughs> it's all pantomime. There's no dialogue to it, and uh, yeah, no, it's, that's it is a you're right. It's a really funny moment. Yeah, now I'm really trying to think. Did she did anything affect her later on in the movie? I, they, there's the the scene where the there's the sick child and things go wrong there, um, but she she doesn't. Um, that's still not on her. That's on Sister Honey, yeah. who uh, yeah. who uh, screws that one. Up. <laughs> yeah. Sister Honey, she states she's so stoic. I think the only thing she ever says is when she was talking to Deborah Carr's character when he, she said, "Look, you got the spots." She goes, "I have the spots too. Must be the water." And that was about it, you know, it's, yeah. but mentally she was like a fortress, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and such a strong character. And, and I was glad because you need one, you need, you don't want them all to be yeah. affected. You know, one of them has to come yeah. out somewhat without being you know, touched or at least it wasn't Someone shown. Rational. Yeah. Rational. Right. And it, it would make sense. It's the healer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It, yeah. That's very that's very true. Yeah, but, but I love that. I love that scene. It was just like I was watching it again. I was just like, "Oh, that's such a cute scene." And yeah, I think it's it's the only 
Well, there are a couple other like little tiny comedic. That's the best one, you know, because you got to have some little comedic moments here and it's, there. It's the most drama. relatable one, I think. I think it's the most relatable one because I think we've all kind of been there where it's like, oh, this isn't so great, but we've got to be nice and and uh, and yeah, Mr. Dean's face is just like, oh, this <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> now, speaking of eroticism, Gene Simmons, can't she? Yeah. Once she meets yeah. the young general, all she wants yeah, to do yeah. is get the young general. I mean, she is doing him. everything, every. But before she meets the young general, she's doing that dance, um, yeah. and all that stuff. And it's just blue room. Oh yeah, in the blue room, and it was just me. And then she meets him, and then it's like everything she's doing is just trying to get um, him to notice her. And, and basically, what and they she, call it, the prince and the uh, pauper. The prince and the yeah, the the prince and the beggar girl, but and, and she's a uh, she delivers a wordless performance. She has no dialogue, and uh, it's all. I mean, she cries out at a couple times when they when they when Aya beats her, but um, it's all just just her face and her eyes, and, and it's silent film acting. And uh, Sabu doesn't really speak to her back. He looks at her, and all the tension is there, uh, but. Um, yeah, she's she's it's it, you forget that it's Gene Simmons. I mean, she is so young in the film, and I you know when I think of Gene Simmons, I I think of like Elizabeth Stoddard in the '91 Dark Shadows, and, and then a couple other later projects where she's 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 a grand dame, um, but uh, she's cute as Conchie. <laughs> She she embodies the 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 total thing that the the nuns are trying to avoid, and it's just oh, yeah. and they see that going on because she's in Sister Ruth's classroom, yeah, and and here yeah, and Sister Ruth seeing this, and it's re- and she's got feelings for Mister Dean. I mean, this is yeah, this is a movie that's really playing on people's different takes of um, uh, sexual awakening, I guess you could say, yeah. or um, whatever we want to look at. Yeah, sexual repression and um, desire and lust and and I mean it, it, I it, to tie in with the whole the 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 nuns like they say their order is uh, they renew their vows every year it's not like a, a one and done and that's what makes their cause even more special they choose to come back and that's that's the whole slippery slope for Sister Ruth but that it ties into sexuality you're giving yourself over you've wed yourself. Uh, I'm not Catholic, so I'm sorry if I'm screwing this up. But it's like you're you're wedding yourself to Christ, and He is the only man um, to God. You know, give yourself to God, and uh, ignore ignore the um, cardinal sin of sex, you know, the forbidden apple and stuff. And you're you're putting them in a in a former harem and surrounding them with all of the the temptations of sin you know, it's even painted on the walls and that's where something in the miniseries they just went so over the top with that and it felt like it was the shining at several times where it's like you're just the sister ruth would walk down the hallway and you'd see just exploitation you know happening in front of you and all around you and there was no subtlety and there was no nuance and that really bothered me of of just like as we said in lesser hands this is, you know, now you're you're just going for the, for the, for the exploit versus the the interesting psychological approach of it and uh, the adult approach to it, the mature approach. Yeah, and you're a better man than me because I never finished the miniseries. I started it and I was just like, oh, this, this, no, no. I, I've already seen what I need to see with the movie. I'm good to go, and yeah, I I, I cut my losses after the first episode. <laughs> I, I was like, I just have to keep going at like, what, how bad is this going to be? And it just got worse. And um, yeah, I mean, I hate bashing something. I don't like to be that guy. I always try to find something redeemable in anything, but that was just bad. It was just bad, cheap and bad and um, and too too much, too long and uh, better told in, in, uh, in this. Yeah. So. Now, May Hallett, who played um, yeah, Aya, yeah, Aya, she's, she's she, a kook. <laughs> she again. If you want to talk about the full comedic role, <laughs> yeah, this is this yeah, is yeah, your yeah. comedy relief, and she's not in. She's in it a little bit, 
you know, very little. You know, they could have overdone her, but it was an appropriate amount. And she really lives up because they, they, they can't really tell her what to do because she just does what she wants yeah. to do. She's part of the palace. She's always been yeah. there, always will be She's there. It's like a weird Greek chorus to the film. And, uh, like, like in climactic moments, she's like, mad people won't kill themselves. It's better to leave them alone. And, and she's like, she's still speaking truths throughout. And, uh, but she's so ditzy and, and, um, eccentric that, um, yeah, she's just, she's just a great performance. She's, she's a British stage actress. And like, you would never know from how she appears and how she carries herself, and how she speaks and moves around and scuttles in corners and, and um, I mean, I, I, that's they were they were just so good. This cast um, and uh, and Michael Powell, you know, just playing them as a director, getting those getting those moments and notes out of them. And uh, yeah, she is funny. She is very good in the film. <laughs> oh yeah, she and when the scenes that she's in, you're always drawn right to her. You can't help it. I mean, she just yeah. she it, steals it, them. Yeah. She steals them. I mean, it's, but that's, that's usually the way it is for most comedic relief. You want them to kind of steal that scene because that's the whole point is to release some tension. Uh, of course, yeah. the scene you're talking about where she's like a bad person, she's, she's not releasing tension. She's speaking. No, she's adding to it. Yeah. She's adding to it and adding <laughs> wisdom to it. And she's, and, and then she starts uh, laughing and doing different. I don't know. It was just kind of funny how she did stuff. But yeah. one of my favorite scenes, and it might be one of yours too, is, the before Sister Ruth goes down to meet Mister Dean, she changes her outfit. She goes, she yeah. drops in, and you see her in the dress. And her and Sister Clodagh are there having that confrontation at the table. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. She puts lipstick on. Oh, the the fine. I'm okay. We're gonna stay here all night and pray. Sure. And she pulls out her little compact, and she's putting the lipstick on very yeah. deliberately. And Sister Clodagh yeah. pulls out her Bible, and no words are being said. But yeah, and just... again, that that choral music is going. That he's just—I mean—he's just pumping it in and out, and and the the use of color of you got those the, the blue outside against the mountains, and everything is in deep shadows and stuff, and, and the the flicker of the candle—it's a red candle that's burning, and the flicker of it on her face as she slowly, deliberately puts that lipstick on, and and um, and they reference that even in Jordan Peele's film Us, Elizabeth Moss like does a similar thing where she does the lipstick. Uh, very deliberately, like like uh, Kathleen Byron, just to show how influential the film has been. Um, but yeah, no, that is a great moment, and, and it's just silently, slowly building tension until finally the candle goes out and the music goes crazy, and and we we're just we're you know right into that third act uh, climax. Um, but yeah, it, I mean the whole even the, the build up to that too of Deborah Carr slowly moving down the hallway. And it's a dark hallway, and then the light at the far end starts to illuminate it, and you're seeing um, all the the very erotic sculptures in the walls. That uh, and the, there's a there's like a, a a netting over one of them that's like it shows the breasts, and it's very sort of erotic. And the, the netting like slowly falls off in the wind, and and you're hearing this different sounds of the of the nuns and one I think Sister Philippa is praying and like you're just it's just building up all this like heightened atmosphere and, and anxiety and uh, uh, yeah it's really good showmanship <laughs> and and you know because you don't even know which nun's room she's going by but I know when yeah. she was going by Sister Bryony's room because she's snoring snoring and I was like oh. it's like ah it's it's another night go to sleep you know because she because nothing yeah. really affects her mentally it's just she is the rock yeah. of the of the nunnery there. And it's just, and of course yeah. she sees the light on her sister roof's door and she's like knocks on the light yeah. goes out and she has the chair, like she's going to block her from coming in. And, and then she lets her in and then they, it's, it's like a waiting game. Who's going to, who's yeah. going to back down first. And it's just right. the tension. I love it in that it builds the tension up and it's just two people sitting at a table. Yeah. And yeah. they're not even just, talking yeah. to each other, and the tension yeah. is ratcheting up with the yeah, music, yeah. the lighting, the candle going out. It's just, and then when the candle it just keeps building goes out, and the book when the book drops, and Sister Ruth is like she's asleep, and then puts her boots on, and then goes out. Her whole acting that that oh, it's just amazing yeah. how Kathleen 
yeah. and just did it. It was just a perfect performance. It is. It is a brilliant. I mean, yeah, every, everything about this movie is brilliant. I mean, that's hard to say about most movies, but this one is. <laughs> it just, yeah. And I can't believe she wasn't nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Award. I mean, she was, she was nominated in the New York Films Critics, but I'm surprised the Oscars, because her performance is so amazing. It continues the very long tradition of, of, you know, proper performances in movies, you know, totally getting ignored and uh, other lesser political uh, uh, films not getting ignored. And uh, I mean, if we're really going to get into, I'm totally getting off track, but like Bela Lugosi as Igor deserved a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. You forget that that man was Dracula. Like that, that's, that's not even Lugosi. It's some, Ugly ass, crooked cheeked gargoyle that's hysterically funny and steals the film. He is the primary villain of the film, the son of Frankenstein. Um, but he's never going to get an Oscar nomination. Now that's a hard, that's a universal monster film. So, but like with with Kathleen Byron, it, it really even with all of them. I mean, the whole film, uh, not just on a technical level, but on a performance level and and. And best picture level, really. I mean, you could have nominated this for best picture. I don't remember what was up that year in '47, but um, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> when have the Oscars ever gotten things right? Sometimes they do. You know, sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, even 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 a blind squirrel finds a nut on occasion. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and speaking of her, you know, sister Ruth, you know, we're talking about a nut, You're right? <laughs> <laughs> but having said that you and i could say this movie like let's say this one did win an oscar for the, the things we're talking about like best picture yeah. then there's going to be other people saying how come this one when this other one should have won and that's yeah. the beauty the of art. yeah everybody everybody yeah. has a different opinion and uh whether right or wrong that's the good part when you have nice discussions about it mm-hmm. yeah exactly i'm I've talked about a lot of the stuff I want to talk about this film. What I know you can go on for it. What 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 do you want to bring up? Because I know it was a box office success. Yeah, it was a hit. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can just I spiral out of control at various you know intervals of this movie. So it's probably better that you you guide the discussion, Stephen, and we'll see what jumped out of my mouth. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think because. Uh, We've talked about the wonderful cinematography, the music and the sound. We've talked about the acting. Yeah. All I can say is I want to see more work. And I have seen more work, you know, from Powell and, Press, and Pressburger. And, yeah. and it, it, it's just one of those things. It's like I got to see more of their work and more of their work. And, it's just, and, and I'm going to try to see how readily available it is. But I, I, some of it I'm sure is and some of it I'm sure is not. Yeah. That's just the way things Actually, work. It's, it's- it is their stuff is pretty. I mean, I have almost all their stuff on Criterion uh, DVD and Blu-ray. And uh, Criterion lately has been doing. They just released uh, Tales of Hoffman on Blu-ray uh, two years ago. They they put out uh, Matter of Life and Death on Blu-ray. Red Shoes is also there. So I think and I've seen a couple of them streaming on HBO Max. Uh, so their work is not as um, as obscure as as one might imagine. Um, you know, if you're weird like. I am and like you are, where you buy DVDs, it's it is it is there. You know, just wait for that Barnes and Noble Criterion sale and and then go hog wild. But um, their stuff is so worth seeking out because uh, just the way they use the camera, the way they use Technicolor, um, and their their choice of story material. There's always something more. They're pushing boundaries and they're being a little more daring than um, dare I say American filmmakers are at that same time. I, I mean, yeah, just the sexual boldness of black narcissists alone um, is something so unique uh, that, uh, I mean, you would get, you'd get sexually tense film noirs from, from American filmmakers at that time, but to do something in just a, a, a technicolor spectacle drama and get so dark and perverse and erotic and mystical, like it's very rare, uh, in a prestige film, and this was a prestige film um, for, from uh, 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 was it London Films that, that produced it, uh, or Alexander Corda? I'm messing up my film history. 
uh, forgive me. Uh, if it was if it was I was listening to that, I'd slap myself. As I know I'd get the facts wrong. <laughs> but um, but the film was a a a a major prestige project. Yeah, it was it was well, obviously the the production company of Pal and Pressburger, you know, the, yeah, the Archers. Production of the Archers. But yeah. it was distributed by General Film Distributors. J. Arthur Rank, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just such yeah. A, such an original yeah. name, General Film Distributors. I'm mean, like, come on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even think it's a company. You just think it's the name of another, like, oh, this, like, like, a, let's say a, a company's name, like, like fake company's name, the widget company. And what did they do? Well, they're general film distributors. You would never think to name your company a general, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know, right? <laughs> Much creativity behind there. <laughs> but speaking of creativity, um, I think we both can say we highly recommend this movie. And if anybody hasn't figured it out at this point, then, then they weren't listening to what we talked about for the last hour. Yeah. Uh, right. But there is a, there is a production company that's currently putting out movies that is also highly creative. And that is the Hollinsworth productions. And what have they come out with recently again? It's uh, Todd Tarantula. It's on, it's, you can stream it now on the, uh, on uh, Vimeo on demand, and uh, it's it's uh, it's definitely not Black Narcissus. It's a bit more rock and roll than Black Narcissus, but um, uh, yeah, how? I mean, it, it's nothing like <laughs> it's nothing like Black Narcissus. It's it's uh, it's a fun movie. It's a feel good, hang out, crazy, colorful midnight movie. Um, that's a terrible description of my own film, but, um, but hopefully you'll feel that way after you've watched it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you will watch it. <laughs> and, and when you watch that one, if you want to see other works by Ansel, that I highly recommend Loon Lake, Will and Liz. I mean, they're out there. You can buy them. Uh, they're, they're, they're excellent films. Loon Lake is a, is a psychological supernatural horror film. With David Selby in two roles, so if you if you like your Selby, you not only get him once, you get him twice. And Kelly Kitko just owning the screen as the uh, the, the protagonist. I mean, the antagonist. You know, she's just yeah. she's just owning. Of course, David Selby plays uh, one of his roles is also an antagonist. So there's it's it's oh yeah, uh, you, which you know you gotta love it. And you have your Doctor Mabuse, which is available, I think, with oldies. Uh, no, it's uh, I've got the Doctor Mabuse trilogy, uh, which is a, a, a two disc Blu-ray set that has all three films and um, a host of special features. There's even a commentary track with myself and Jerry Lacey and Nate Wilson. Uh, and you no, know, you can get it on Amazon. I, yeah, I think you can get it on Oldies, uh, but it is uh, it's it's on Amazon. Um, and uh, yeah, and then there's and uh, Will and Liz, my my romance. Uh, also on Blu-ray, you can get that on Amazon. But yeah, you can find all my work at HollinsworthProductions.com, H-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H Productions. And um, yeah, uh, it is, Black Narcissus has been a very impactful film for me as a filmmaker. And uh, it'd be cool one day to make a movie that's uh, in the mountains and is just as sexually perverse and colorful <laughs> as, as Black Narcissus is. Uh, but you know, got to find that money and find the right script. So, well, just imagine you can always do that prequel I was talking about. You know, it's 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 a some open game there. Oh. <laughs> uh, all the all the, the monks that are repressed <laughs> in, the, in the palace. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. You yeah. never know. But I want to thank you, Ansel, Someone for joining me for. to talk about this movie and uh, a little bit about your upcoming movie, which we'll be talking more about in these other episodes that'll be coming out for listeners to hear. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much, Stephen, for, for having me on and, and putting up with my incoherent rambling and for promoting my, uh, my, my new film, Todd Tarantula, which I can't even, you know, make a coherent ramble about that. <laughs> but listeners, he did make a coherent audio promo, which we're going to exit right into now. But uh-huh. Thank you for listening. And again, if you have any feedback, Email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook. Um, Ansel's production company and stuff is available out there on the website. And it's all Facebook presence, so you can follow along to see when stuff is coming out. Ansel's always, you know, posting things when things are coming, like the film festival and things like that. And then, then you have an idea when the new work is coming out and who he's doing it with. 
Uh, so I highly recommend you, you follow those sites. But otherwise. Hi, I'm Ansel Farage. And I'm Nathan Wilson. And, and we're, we're independent, independent filmmakers. filmmakers. Check out our folk horror film, Loon Lake, starring David Selby. Streaming now on Tubi TV. And we also have a love story in Venice Beach called Will and Liz. Also streaming on Tubi TV. And our new film, Todd Tarantula, A Mystery of Psychedelic Proportions. Streaming on Vimeo On Demand and coming very soon to Prime Video and DVD. You Please can... check them out. They're a lot of fun and we think you'll enjoy them. You can check out everything at hollandsworthproductions.com. They're all available on streaming and on Blu-ray and DVD. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy. Your father did mention your dreams. Daylight hallucinations, he said your mother called them. You still have dreams, don't you? Tell me one. Far-fetched, but I'll keep it in mind. Mm -hmm.